Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. We all know from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. West Holm, which is based in Queensland in the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. West Holm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM. Let's create. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unk, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unk podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unk, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese, And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about sangria. Yes. So as always, a drink responsibly. Yes. Um... And I actually remember the very first time I had sangria. I believe I've talked about this night before because it's also the very first time I had paella and gin and tonic. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, Because I was lucky enough that I got to go on a trip. I had to save up money, but I got to go on a trip to France and Spain when I was in high school. We did like this whole night that was a class on um, popular Spanish foods and drinks. And we made gin and tonics, paella, and both. White wine and red wine-based sangria. Okay. And I remember it being a lovely time, and I also remember being very childishly like, I'm not of legal drinking age in the U.S., <laughs> but I am here. <laughs> oh, oh, that, that, does, that does sound delightful, though. Um, uh, when, when you were in Spain, did you see a lot of sangria when you were, like, out and about? I, I think I did, but also I think... It was one of those things where after I went to this class, I was like, ooh, Spanish tradition. So I was looking for it on every okay. oh, sure. list. Yeah. And I'm sure that I went to a lot of places that were at least somewhat touristy. 
Um, I did. I did order it a lot. I think of the alcohol I drank when I was in Spain, most of it was either sangria or wine. I did not. I liked the gin and tonic, but I was like, "This is my jam. This is the thing." Oh like, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I love. I love Spanish wine. Um, uh, really good. Really good stuff. Really good. Oh yeah, just nice dry, fruity kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then. When I was in college, I had a friend who actually met in Europe, and then she came, and uh, we met again in college. And uh, we used to do this, like, Harry Potter viewing party because she'd never seen Harry Potter. She'd read the books, but she hadn't seen the movies. And we were working through them, and she would always make this huge jug of sangria that was way too ambitious. (laughs) Luckily, we were pretty good about being like, okay, we can't drink all of this sangria. Okay, that's (laughs) enough for that. Cut off. Yeah, But it was always, like— so much, so uh, much sangria. Huh. It was fun. It was a fun time because I never, I've never made it other than that first class in Spain. But oh, she huh. was like, "I've got my recipe and it had all kinds of fruits in it." it was still sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not positive that I've ever sat down and just made sangria for the heck of it. I, I, I probably have at some point, um, but uh, but I do pretty frequently um, just add sliced fruit to the wine that I'm drinking, yeah. especially mm-hmm. if it's like not a particularly great. Right. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, you know what's going to improve this? Literally anything. Let's try. <laughs> Let's try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's a that's a different vibe. I I do I do like a sangria, but a lot of them are so sweet. Like I Yeah. If I'm going to order it out, I usually specifically ask. I'm like, "So, like, can you tell me like what the flavor profile is? Is it sweeter or drier cuz yeah, I cannot handle that much sugar." Yeah. Yeah. And and we're going to talk about that um about how sangria became so sweet, but I, I I do like the feeling of just putting also sliced fruit in there. It just feels fancy to me. Oh, right. Um, even though it's really not that fancy. <laughs> it does feel that way, though. <laughs> well, and you get a snack. You finish your wine and then you yes. have a snack. It's delightful. I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, December 20th is National Sangria Day, uh, which I guess makes sense. I can see it being a holiday drink based on the color. To me, it does feel a little more like a summer thing, but, you know. Color-wise. Yeah, and depending on how you, you know, if you add some, uh, some, some like, nutmeg or cinnamon spices like that right. in there. Sure, sure. Sure. Well, I guess this brings us to our question. Mm-hmm. Sangria. What is it? Well, uh, sangria is a type of alcoholic punch made from wine mixed with fruity stuff and maybe other stuff. Uh, I know I'm being vague. That's because the ingredients can vary widely. But uh, but yeah, I'd say that a that a fruit or fruit juice or fruit flavoring or fruity distilled alcohol like brandy is a necessary component after the wine. Mm-hmm. Other ingredients can include right spices, uh, sparkling water, sweeteners. Um, the wine can also vary. A dry, fruity Spanish red like Tempranillo um, is classic, but you can find sangrias made with all kinds of reds, whites, rosés, bubbles, whatever you want. It's mm-hmm. often homemade um, or house-made by mixing various ingredients to taste in a multi-serving batch, see above read jug, um, and is then served out individually, um, including chunks of fresh fruit in, e- in each glass. Um, but there's also a market for prepackaged sangrias that include fruit flavoring uh, instead of fresh fruit right in the bottle. Um, in the United States, these tend to be on the sweet side and on the inexpensive side with a, with a lower alcohol content than, than straight wine. Uh, both types, though, the, the homemade and the prepackaged, are very frequently served over ice in the United States. 
I know that different different cultures have different levels of like dedication to ice. We have a pretty serious dedication to ice here. This is true. Yeah. I do not, unless it's my fancy Star Wars ice cubes. Oh, but other than that, right, right. I'm not an ice person. <laughs> oh, geez. I love an ice. Anyway. <laughs> I do love how people have their ice preferences. And I know, <laughs> not a sponsor, but Zaxby's often gets brought up in this conversation for my friends, where they like the, like— Are they like the, like, chipped ice? Chipped ice, yeah. yeah. Oh, see, I, I like I like it both ways. Like, I mean, it depends on it depends on your application. You know, I like it's anything true. from the giant fancy cubes made of mm-hmm. like of like purely frozen water with no air bubbles, um, <laughs> right down to yeah, like 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 normal freezer cubes, right down to chipped ice. I don't know. I just like them. You know, a lot of people do, and you can see our ice episode for that. But I do know that is a big culture shock for Americans when we go to like Europe. Or I don't think Australia had that much ice either. I don't yeah. think anywhere else I've been had that much ice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Y- y- y'all write, y'all write it and tell us, like, like specifically yes. in sangria, as that is the topic of the day. Yes. But also, mm-hmm. right, yeah, everywhere. Anyway, sangria, yes, um, is strongly associated with Spain, but apparently is mostly a tourist drink, um, especially in Madrid's bar scene. Like, it's not something. I've read um, that the locals order out, but rather would make at home for parties. Um, and I have seen a parallel type of wine punch called a Tinto de Verano, cited as being the more popular wine punch over there. Um, and this is uh, just just red wine and uh, lemon soda or sweetened soda water over ice. I don't think I've heard of that one. Me neither. <laughs> uh, folks do get creative with the ingredients in the homemade or housemade stuff, you know, all kinds of flavored syrups, uh, sorbets, fruit from apples and pears to stone fruit to berries to citrus to tropical fruits, um, uh, teas make their way in there, um, other liquors like rum or maybe a flavored vodka or a liqueur. Um, The word sangria has been applied to totally different punches as well, involving bases of other fruity alcohols like, uh, like lambics and ciders. If you are making your own at home, um, I would say to probably avoid using as your wine base um, older or complex wines because they're they're, they're just just drink that straight. It's going to get lost in the mix. Um, Also, any red with like a lot of tannin um, might taste like sort of sour or like weirdly woody. Um, Probably Mm -hmm. not what you want. Sort of similarly, heavily oaked whites might clash with your with your kind of fruity sweet notes. Um, yeah, if you're if you're using fresh fruit or herbs or spices, let the wine macerate and or steep for a little while to let the flavors meld. Um, oh, and if you're using a sparkling wine as as your base wine, um, then use either a bit of flat wine or liqueur or liquor uh, to do to do the melding and macerating part, and then add your sparkle at the last minute to preserve those bubbles. Um, but you know, as with anything, um, the best drink is whatever you enjoy drinking. So experiment, figure it out. Yeah, I like that sentiment. I remember when we were in Hawaii, we were at a nice sushi restaurant and super producer Andrew was asking the waiter, like, what goes well with this sushi? And the waiter kind of gave an answer, but then said, you know, whatever you like is what goes well, goes well with like, it. Oh. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you into? That's that's yeah. the that's going to be the best one. <laughs> Which I appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, um. So, so with with all of those different possibilities, um, the result will vary. 
Um, but generally, a sangria is a, a fruity and, yeah, like like summery. Um, on the sweet end, round it out with some acids and tannins from the fruit and the wine, whatever flavorings you add. Um, so it's sort of tangy and sweet. Um, but, yeah, you can really tailor it with the ingredients for any type of experience that you want. It's true. Mm-hmm. Could be Harry Potter movie night in college mm-hmm. or night hanging out <laughs> in the nice weather of summer in Spain. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Well, what about the nutrition? Yeah. Drink responsibly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, also, sangria can have a lot of sugar, especially that packaged stuff. So, um, so watch out for that. You know, hydrate. Always key. Always, always, key. always hydrate. Mm-hmm. We do have some numbers for you. A few. Um, it, it's you know, it's hard to track numbers for handmade cocktails, especially like batch style ones. Um, but yeah. for prepackaged sangria. Yes. As of August 2016, Nielsen listed 250 sangria wines in the United States with sales amounting to $17 million that month alone. (laughs) Yeah. U.S. sales of sangria cases increased about 13% from 2014 to 2015. Over 70% of those sales were imports. Yeah, especially back then, most of the packaged sangria that we were getting here in the States was from Spain. Yeah, um, and right, those those numbers of cases, um, as of 2014, um, some 2 million cases were sold here in the United States. Um, by 2018, that number had increased to three and a quarter million cases, which isn't like in terms of the overall wine industry, like a lot, a lot, but, you know, I'm impressed. I'm impressed too. Yeah. Um, Savers impressed. <laughs> <laughs> which is easy to do, but... Um, hey. <laughs> We just take joy in small things. It's all right. We do, yes. Um, <laughs> over, overall, um, sales of prepackaged sangria just about doubled from 2010 to 2018. I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever bought prepackaged sangria. I've seen it. Me neither. I've always gone, that's going to be overly sweet and miserable, and I don't want any part of it. <laughs> I really think it's just been like if people made it for me, I drink it. Uh, but yeah, I haven't had it since college. But I remember really enjoying it. Um. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. Like, like my, my tastes just run like so, so dry and so bitter, mm. as we've talked about on the show before. Mm. My favorite flavor is bitter. And so, right, like I, I, I really, I, I'm, I'm very dubious yes. <laughs> of yes. mixed cocktails um, or punches or whatever in prepackaged formats because I'm just like, oh, I don't, I don't know about this. Yeah. 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 That's fair. <laughs> But a couple, a couple numbers in terms of uh, house-made sangria. There was this interview with the uh, with the publication Spanish Wine Lover in 2015, in which a representative from um, local Atlanta restaurant Iberian Pig uh, reported that they would make like a 40 gallon batch of sangria for the whole weekend on like Friday or Saturday morning, um, and then sell out of it by Saturday night and have to make more. Wow. It's a good restaurant. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, there. Oh, that that jamón ibérico is so so good. Yes. So good. <laughs> oh. Um uh and a restaurant group called um Fox Restaurant Concepts out of Phoenix um reported in 2018 that among some of their restaurant brands, um house-made sangria accounted for fully half of their wine sales. Dang. Which seems impressive to me, but I guess cocktails are a pretty popular thing, so I don't know. I don't know. Who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, well, Sangria does have a very interesting past. It does. And we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. <laughs> yes, I did too. <laughs> Westholm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot -E com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! Happy Pride from Tomboy X! Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off. No dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. 
Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So sangria has a pretty long history. Uh, Pretty much since people have been drinking wine, they have been adding stuff to it. It's one of those things where depending on the definition you use, it could go back way further, be more recent. Um, Ancient Greeks and Romans added whatever spices they had on hand to wine and sometimes served it heated like mulled wine. It was called Hippocras. I know we've talked about uh, stuff like this in past episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's... um. Reminding me of our butterbeer episode specifically. Yeah, yeah. And I think was sailing? Did we talk sure. about yeah yeah, 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 that one. Um, and as we've discussed before, at the time, fermented drinks were often safer to drink than water. So a lot of folks turned to things like flavored wine, which typically didn't have as high of an alcohol content as what we drink these days. Sometimes the wine itself was diluted with water and the wine used was often not so great wine flavor-wise, like you were talking about, Lauren, um, that people were looking to spice it up or make it a little bit better, more palatable, things Hmm. like that. By 1100 BCE, the Phoenicians had planted grapevines in what is now Spain, and they were already making something sangria-like in these early days. When the Arabs invaded what would become Spain in the 700 CE, wine-making, and by extension sangria, went down and didn't really bounce back until after the Arabs left in the 1400s. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, these were people from Islamic backgrounds. And so um, so within the Islamic belief system, uh, alcohol is prohibited. So that, that tracks. That makes sense. It does indeed. For the most part, sangria was made with red wines, typically Spanish grapes from Rioja, like Tempranillo, with local citrus added in, maybe lemons or apples, oranges, grapes or pears, sometimes fortified with brandy. As the Spanish established colonies around the world, they spread this love of sangria and their recipes, recipes that were adapted based on what was available locally. By the 1700s and 1800s, records show sangria was being made in the UK and France using French grapes. Although, again, people had been making something similar since wine was a thing. Definitions, they get messy. Um, Not just red wine either, but people were experimenting with sparkling wine and white wine and a kind of sangria made from peaches called Zura. Mm-hmm. Around this time, sangria became a popular drink among affluent Europeans, especially at parties and get-togethers. Uh, yeah, um, punches in general were popular among this crowd. And like showy punch bowls were posh. Um, recipes probably got sweeter around this time as a sugar became more widely available thanks to colonization and slavery. Oh, yay. Yeah, um... And stories abound about where exactly the name comes from. Some say it was named after bloodletting due to the drink's resemblance to slightly watered-down blood. According to one Catalan dictionary, sangria, or red wine with fruit and sweeteners, was actually the invention of the British. Mm. Um, I don't know. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Something they drink at various colonies that they owned around the world during the summer. I'm laughing because I capitalized summer in the outline, and that feels so... Official. Um, <laughs> at the time, a drink called the Claret Cup, which was wine, fizzy water, lemon, and sugar, was popular in the UK. Which, interestingly, is pretty much what Tinto de Verano is. So, hmm. 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 
Jerry Thomas's 1862 Bartender's Guide contained a recipe for sangaree, which was a drink that some people believe was a part of sangria's evolution. And sangaree was essentially a punch in single serving form. That was kind of the definition, explanation I could find for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And here's a quote from an 1872 article out of the Fort Worth Gazette. Her servants hand around trays of glasses filled with sparkling water or with what is called sangria, a very refreshing drought composed of equal portions of wine and water with sugar, ad libitum, and sufficient lemon juice to give it a pungent flavor. Um, but mainstream U.S. got its introduction to sangria at the 1964 World's Fair held in New York City when the pavilion from Spain offered some of this drink. Prior to that, sangria had been popular in pockets in the U.S., particularly pockets of Spanish immigrants. But this was really when Americans at large got a taste for it. Like, people had it here. They loved it. Words. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was marketed as part of the typical cuisine in Madrid at the pavilions um, Taberna Madrid or, or Madrid Tavern. Yeah. Yes. And the sangria served at this pavilion had been crafted to have a mass appeal with sugar, brandy, and fruit. So I guess specifically a mass appeal to Americans in this case. Um, this was part of a push by Spain to elevate the reputation of Spanish wine, which was viewed as a cheaper, not as quality wine when compared to the wines of other European countries, like specifically France or Italy at this time. Uh, yeah, um, and that was in turn uh, part of a greater push by the ruling regime of Spain of the time um, under uh, dictator uh, Francisco Franco, to promote Spain through through this kind of soft diplomacy. Yeah. Um, they spent $7 million in that day's money on the pavilion, which what? just, by the way, is a million dollars more than it cost to produce Mary Poppins that same year. Whoa. So, so the regime was serious about this soft diplomacy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, another story doesn't credit them at all with Sangria's <laughs> popularity here. It credits Lorenzo Granados for introducing Sangria to New Yorkers in 1951 by serving it. He was serving it out of his Greenwich Village restaurant. Like I said, you know, people were drinking it in the U.S. It just Yeah. It just maybe real- didn't, right, didn't hit it big. Right, exactly. But apparently in the in the 1960s, there was a whole fashion trend around Sangria-style dresses, which I Googled. And I can't really tell you. Yeah. I tried to. I couldn't find anything um, other than, like, these dresses are kind of burgundy colored. Yeah. And some of them, they seem to, like, in general have, like, a, a kind of wrap situation going. A little bit of but sleeve floof, know. maybe. A yeah, some floof. Yeah. Some floof. I think you're right. We're clearly. Maybe listener. <laughs> please write yeah. in that we don't know anything about fashion. Yeah. Oh, goodness. We should get the, the, the lovely ladies from Dressed on the case. Yes. Tell us about sangria-style dresses. <laughs> um, and by this time, sangria was available to Americans in pre-packaged glass bottles. But yes, as Americans often do, uh, we added more sugar to sangria, and it became associated with college drinking, which I didn't really know, but then I had my own experience. I was like, well, yeah, that's when you were drinking hmm. it. But I didn't know it was like a college thing. Um, and, and because of that, often became something that was looked down upon we talk about this a lot in our cocktail hours with the 80s and adding yeah. sugar and the prepackaged yeah. mixes. Only recently has this kind of view of sangria changed in the United States, swept up in the craft cocktail boom. In 2014, the European Union 
laid down some stipulations around what can be labeled as sangria, including the fact that it has to be made in Spain and or Portugal. Or uh, or it has to state where it was made on the label if it was not made in Spain and or Portugal. Uh, it also caps the, uh, the, the alcohol by volume limit for bottled sangria at under 12%. Yes. Hmm. And there was around this time, uh, 2014, a lot of buzz, no pun intended, um, around sangria in general with, um, with industry insights pointing to, uh, to write the, the popularity of sweeter wine beverages in younger demographics um, uh, across, across both the United States and Europe as well. Um, and people starting to look for lower alcohol options too. There was apparently something that wine market folks call Moscato madness going on at the time. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm like you, Lord. I have similar, like, I don't really like sweeter, mm-hmm. sweeter wines in general, but um, my dad really did, and he didn't drink a lot, so I always oh, associate uh-huh. those kinds of things with him. Uh, um, huh. Yeah, and I have friends, some good friends of mine, they really like those sweeter wines, and it's kind of a running joke. As you know, I don't like having stuff around, like stacks. Mm-hmm. Stacks, snacks. Yeah. Um, and I have a friend who she's like slowly making my pantry hers and leaving snacks behind. <laughs> um, and she has like this case of like sweet frozen wine pop things. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and it's just building up. And it's like what I said with the Twizzlers where there's clearly one flavor that's not oh. the winner. There's one in there that is not the winner. Wow. And I have so much of it. I'm like, you need to take this back because I'm yeah, not. <laughs> I'm certainly not. This is you. This is for you. Why well, my whole ice gaze is filled with, I think it's like a grape. Moscato, mo- something. Okay. It's not a winner, apparently. Yeah, apparently not. Um, mm. Huh? Yeah, great, <laughs> great, great flavoring can be real, yeah. real touch and go. Um, it can be. Uh, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, then um, then after I think kind of bolstered by this this uh, this news out of the European Union. The United States started getting in on the prepackaged sangria market. Um, lots of big wine brands, um, Black Box, Yellowtail, Barefoot, stuff like that, got in on this this prepackaged sangria game in the late 20 teens. Um, the trend also coincided, um, and I think kind of like like dovetailed, boosted each other with um, with wine spritzers and boozy seltzers and single serving cocktails becoming available and then gaining traction in the United States. Yeah, it does feel, I don't have a lot of the perceptions people seem to have about sangria other than, yeah, you know, sweeter, but it does feel to me like a party drink. And a lot of times when I'm hanging out with friends and these friends who bring like a case of these frozen wine pops or whatever, it's kind of a celebration. So it's yeah, like, yeah. I don't normally drink this thing, but I would like to, especially like if you're at the beach or something or some oh, kind of sure. outdoors vibe. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. real good, that's a real good outdoors vibe drink. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> oh, well, perhaps I'll try my hand at making some in the future. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, but in the meantime, I think that's what we have to say about sangria for now. It is. Um, we do have some listener mail for you. We do, but first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by West Holm. 
I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holmes sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holmes offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! Happy Pride from Tomboy X! Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Father's Day is coming, a day we celebrate the guy who's always there for us to crack a dad joke. Well, you know what's not a dad joke? Getting $50 off the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker with the purchase of his favorite cocktail capsule pack. $50 off, no dad joke. See, this is a dad joke. I lost my glasses today, and guess who I bumped into? Everyone. But the Bartesian Cocktail Maker? It's no joke. Each cocktail capsule contains real fruit juices and all-natural bitters, so Dad can make over 60 premium cocktails he loves. Sidecars, old fashions, gimlets, all with the push of a button. So, for the dad who loves a cocktail with friends and a good joke from time to time, get the Bartesian Premium Cocktail Maker. $50 off now until Father's Day. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash father to get 50 off the best premium cocktail maker for dad at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. 
and we're back with a listener, listener. mail. <laughs> celebration. Yeah. Summertime celebration. <laughs> um, Shannon wrote, thank you for your Negroni episode. I am not a fan of Jen, so Negronis are not for me, but this episode did help solve a bit of a mystery's history between me and my mother from our trip to Florence when I was in high school. Hmm. When we first arrived, our hotel highly recommended that we make a reservation at the nice restaurant down the street for later in the week. In the following days, we discovered our hotel bar, its wonderful bartender, and had many Aperol spritzes before many other dinners out Hmm. and around Florence. Then came the fateful night of our reservation, and my mother asked the very charismatic bartender if she could have a drink with Campari instead of Aperol. So he suggested a Negroni. One Negroni turned into multiple Negronis. Mm-hmm. Now, she remembers them as being sparkling in some way, and I did not think this well until your episode. Mystery solved. Of course, after several Negronis of any kind, my mom was pretty tipsy by the time we got down the block for dinner. When we sat down, I told our server my mom had been drinking Negronis as an aperitif, and his reaction was, you don't drink Negronis before dinner. You drink Negronis to get drunk. (laughs) And drunk she was. (laughs) To this day, I remember the food being pretty damn good at that place, and my mom claims it was overhyped. I blame the Negronis. Now that I am older, while I am still a big fan of the occasional summer Aperol spritz, my preferred drink is definitely the Negroni Riff, the Boulevardier. Thank you both for a show that both makes me laugh, learn, and want to jump into my car and try out all my local restaurants every time. Aw. You both do sort of feel like friends after all these years. When I hear Lauren's voice, if it is not Lauren, it is her voice twin in show on Stuff You Should Know Twice a Week. I do sometimes say hi to her in my head. I'm also a D&D player and DMing my first self-written campaign right now. Oh, yay. Yeah, yay. yay, congrats. And I love all of that so much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. That is, that that can be a very dangerous game when you when you have, you're like, oh, I'll just have a cocktail before dinner. And then you're like, I haven't eaten dinner yet. This is a terrible plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is, that is, that is my voice in the intro to Stuff You Should Know and a number of other iHeart uh, podcast network shows. Um, it's one of my one of my side gigs around the office here. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, hey, would you read this into a microphone? And I'm like, yes. I think uh, every time, listeners, you say hi to Lauren, uh, she gets her wings. So um, <laughs> keep it up. It's true. Keep it up. They yeah. they regenerate really quickly. Like they fall off and regenerate so <laughs> a lot do. of times. It's uh, true. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't like talking about it, but I'm trying to, you know, help her out. And uh, we appreciate uh, all of your efforts. <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Hype Man Annie. Mm-hmm. That's really... <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm here for you. <laughs> like every time you say my name, I fall over and stub my toe. But I have a feeling oh. of immediate, like, someone's there for me, you know, in my heart. Oh, so. Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like getting your wings, but it does with more. It, it's like oh, toe bruises, but then a warmth in your heart, but then a warmth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not just from the bruise. Heart <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Goodness. Um, Megan wrote uh, first, as I think I've told you before, my dad's family is Chilean, so we love empanadas, and I was so excited about your recent episode. I love learning more about my favorite foods. 
To answer your question about how the world's largest empanada was made and if they just scaled up a family recipe, I went to check my Chilean cookbook, and at least based on how my family makes them, no, it's just a giant version of a typical recipe. First of all, the traditional empanada de pino, um, which sounds most similar to what you describe, doesn't have chicken in it, so little different right from the start. The filling in my grandma's empanadas is beef cooked with raisins, onions, and spices, one whole olive. The cookbook has olives cooked into the beef mixture, but my family doesn't do that to keep the flavor from being overpowering. Um, at the center of the empanada, and uh, boiled egg slices arranged around the olive. For the rest of my comparison, I looked at the number of eggs and the amount of beef. I like this, it's science. Uh, based on my recipe, the number of eggs used in the world record would make around 500 normal-sized empanadas. An overestimate since some eggs go in the dough, and I didn't account for those. But the amount of beef in the record holder is enough for more than 2,000. So at least they didn't use my family's recipe to get the proportions. Also, I almost got to try ice wine at a restaurant a few months ago, but they were unfortunately sold out. Since I live near the Finger Lakes region of New York, though, I think there's a nearby ice wine festival, so I want to go to that if it's held this year. The gelato episode was also wonderful. There's a gelateria in the small town I live in, and they did a Harry Potter week where all the flavors were related to the books. My favorites were butterbeer and crystallized pineapple. They also had a fizzing Wisby's flavor, which had Pop Rocks in it. Um, great fresh, but kind of weird after a week in the freezer. Related to the Bundt Cake and Blueberry episodes, like Annie, I also have strong preferences for pie over cake and grew up with berry bushes. In my case, they were black raspberry bushes on my grandparents' farm, which were turned into birthday pie, a tradition in my mom's family because we all prefer pie to cake. My grandma usually makes two pies for everyone's birthday, one to share, which goes fast because we all love it, and one to take home for just yourself. My mom even planted raspberry bushes in her yard so that she could have more to make herself pie throughout the year, and so she doesn't have to mow the hill they're on. Finally, I'm in the middle of the episode on za'atar. Um, I skipped ahead when I saw the one on empanadas, and it reminded me that I have a jar of it in my spice cabinet that a friend sent me, so now I'm inspired to make some delicious things with it. Yes. Oh, that's also good. Yes, it is. It is. Um, somebody recently asked me what my favorite kind of pie was, and I legit had like an, an existential crisis. Oh, I was like, yeah. Well, I like yeah. this kind, but what about this one? But what about like I just, what about, what about oh no oh no oh yeah she's still waiting for an answer so I gotta no oh, yeah I gotta get on that I mean that's a that's a serious thing though no like I mean like you stare into the face of pie and pie stares back it's true and, yeah it's waiting for me every night when I try to sleep <laughs> <laughs> the great pie in the sky uh, but yeah I love this empanada the empanada math that's so great and they yes. sound so delicious also your family's recipe. Right? Single I, <laughs> the single, right, right, right. I love that. I love the single olive in the center. Yes. That's terrific. Um, oh, I want to make, I want to make that right now. <laughs> yes. Me too. Me too. Um, I, I was really excited because I went out to safely eat at a restaurant recently with some friends and they had mm -hmm. empanadas in the menu and I was like, here it is, it's time. They are out. That oh, feeling no. when you're like, yes. Oh. And then, no. Yeah. That's a real yeah. up and down roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. So well, I'm still on goodness. the hunt. Still looking. Someday your empanada will come, Annie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the empanadas come for us all. 
Um, thanks to both of those listeners for writing to us. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now.